Welcome to For the Church, a podcast for the flock of Zion Presbyterian Church in Columbia, Tennessee. We want to help you think biblically about everyday matters. Zion Church exists to join Jesus in his mission to reach people with the gospel and then equip his people to serve and worship. I'm your host, Keaton Paul, and joining me is my conversation partner and co-host, Seth Scruggs. In our current moment in Zion's history, we're on a journey to find a new lead pastor. And this is an exciting time, but it raises a lot of questions. And so we're we're thinking through this idea of pastor and trying to get a concept of what is a good model of a pastor. And so the past few episodes, we've been looking at what we've called pastor profiles. And we're asking really what pastors do and who are some good examples of this. Today in particular, though, we're looking at the pastor as a theologian. But before we dive in, hey, Seth, how Thank are you? you? I'm really good. It's funny that you asked me that because we've been talking for about 10 minutes after we sat down and like put on the headphones and right. sat in front of the microphones. We Before we started recording, we just kind of sat here and talked. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's funny driving in. There's just a bunch of kids outside. I know. Just on the playground. We're doing this a little bit earlier than we usually do. So right. there's like recess is happening and yeah, uh, it's fun. It's, it's a lively place. You know, it's, um, it's a really fun thing. I'll be in my office, you know, and I'll have my cup of decaf and like, you know, uh, smooth jazz playing in the background while I'm, you know, <laughs> exegeting a Hebrew passage. <laughs> and in the background, I, you know, I just hear children playing and I'm like, oh, my heart is so warm. It's <laughs> a good, I, I, for me, I think that'd be really distracting, but I'm glad that you like that. That's yeah, no, good, I, it's a good mix of things. It is a good mix of things. I think, um, I think it would be sad uh, to to have, you know, birds chirping, children playing. It's very kind of Louis Armstrong. <laughs> what a wonderful world. All that to say, if you hear any screaming in the background, it's just kids <laughs> playing. It's not, um, there's yes. nothing else going on. It's just kids playing outside. Yes, they're on the playground playing uh, here next to the office as we podcast on uh, a Tuesday afternoon at, you know, one thirty. So, <laughs> so let's jump into this yes. um, because I'm really interested to see kind of where you're, where we're going with this. You, you have a, you have an outline here, um, as we, as we usually do. Um, but when, so let's, maybe we just start with, before we really get into this, um, what is theology and what is a theologian? Oh man. That's not in our outline. It's not. I decided to throw you a curveball just right off the bat. Yeah. This is fun. Okay. What is theology? Um, Which uh, there are a lot of words that I take for granted. And, you know, I I taught high schoolers and still teach teach, uh, high schoolers and students and middle schoolers too and all that. Um, And, you know, it wasn't until later on I had taught for a while before finally somebody paused and raised their hand and said, I don't know what that word means. And I was like, redemption? You don't? Oh, oh no. We, okay. We've got to really back up. So anyway, yes. Um, theology. Theology uh, is um, two Greek words there. Uh, theos, which means God. Um, and the ology uh, is from the Greek word logos. 
so you know word or kind of task with it this study of to, to some degree so really two greek words the study of god um with theology um a theologian is somebody who uh is uh is studying or thinking about god now here's one of the kickers um everybody everywhere has a theology everyone even people who are like staunch militant atheists still have a theology it just so happens that their theology is that they at least confess that they don't uh believe in god which is still a theology um you know that there isn't one uh and of course the bible tells us that uh you know what's really going on there that at least in some capacity they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and um Romans one, uh, for, for more there. Um, but, but Christians too, you know, um, regularly we think of at least my, my thinking, especially as I, you know, I was finishing up college. Um, I was, I went to seminary and and as I was getting ready for seminary, I was so excited because I was going to go to seminary. And, um, as I was at seminary, I would become a theologian. You know, so you're going to go and you're going to read the really good, hard to read books that, you know, you have to be, you have to be a professional to read these books. And in some sense that, that is actually kind of true because some of them are so dense and so technical that you do need, uh, a lot of previous kind of foundational steps to, to even, you know, understand some of the things that they're talking about. Um, but, you know, and I think it was R.C. Sproul uh, of course, it was R.C. Sproul, um, who who wrote a book to basically say, yeah, everyone everywhere is a, a theologian. And I think there's actually been a recent work, too. I can't remember who, but um, that same sort of concept uh, of, you know, not only is, is theology the study of God, and everybody has a theology, um, but how you live your life uh, is an outworking of your theology. And so one thing that we, you know, this whole podcast is to set is set up to do is to help people live out their confessed and professed uh, theology. Um, we want at Zion to equip the saints to be uh, consistent Christians for their life to follow with their confession of faith and. So anyway, that's theology and theologians. Um, I think that defines those two yeah, words. Yeah, I just think it'd be good because theology and theologian, it, it, it can seem scary Yeah, because I, I think that especially any ology, right. but especially theology, because yeah. we kind of know it, it deals with things of God, right? Right it feels weighty yeah. and it feels like, Oh, I got to be what, what you were saying. I've got to, right. I've got to read those dense books and I have to do this yeah. thing. And, I, yeah. but no, we're all kind of living out some sort of theology. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to get to that. And then also saying like theologian is not really like, it feels a little bit like a post hoc job yeah uh descriptor right yeah. so like a lot of the people that we describe as theologians now right it, i can think of 
relatively few who probably would have been described as theologian in their lifetime. Right. Or at least yeah. like by themselves. Yeah. Like there, there aren't many people who would have been like, oh, I am a theologian by trade. <laughs> right. it, they probably would have been considered a pastor or yeah. a professor or a writer, you know, yeah. Yeah. thinking about C.S. Lewis as right. I often do. Right. Um, you know, he was, he was an, a writer and a professor. Like he, yeah. we call him a theologian. Right. Kind of after the fact. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so I just wanted to kind of get at that that yeah. like theologian really isn't like an active job title, but right. rather like something that people kind of do in addition to these other things. Yes, um, as they think and write, as really it's just like oh I like this guy's writings, right? And he happens to write about God a lot, right. and therefore right. he is a theologian. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. There are very, very few people who, you know, like their profession, quote unquote, is to be a theologian. Um, most people are are, you know, either who are like in a professional sense doing theology are are typically, you know, teaching in a seminary or something like that um, in a kind of sp- specific ilk. <laughs> Right. Or, or job descriptor. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see on certain places, you know, so-and-so, public theologian. I don't know what, really what that means, but um, fair enough. Uh, but so, yeah. Yeah. Usually I think it means the person kind of keeping us in line. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think is usually what that means. That's fair. But so a lot of the people that we refer to as theologians mm-hmm. um, are pastors as yeah. well. And there's kind of a Venn diagram where like, not all theologians are pastors. Right. C.S. Lewis, for instance, right. was not a pastor. Right. Um, but a lot of people that we look back at and call theologians, people like Spurgeon or mm-hmm. Calvin or Luther, right. all pastors. Right. So so let's dig into that. Like what yeah. what does it mean for a pastor to be a theologian? Mm-hmm. Um as we and kind of put that into the context of what we've been talking about. Yeah. So Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, pastors are at the forefront of their mind. So, something that they're constantly chewing on and keeping at the forefront of their mind is theology. One would hope so, right? They're pastors. Um, so they're called with the specific task of shepherding and equipping God's people by the means that God has given to shepherd them. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're dealing with, with certain things, um, sacred things, you know, uh, and, and so one thing we're getting somewhat into the, you know, the, the history of the church, but, um, there are so many different, especially in our modern era ideas of what a pastor should be. We've talked about this before. Um, the pastor, you know, uh, CEO model or whatever else, you know, pastor influence model, uh, influencer model or, you know, whatever else. But at the core, um, I think one of the callings for pastors is to be, you know, at the forefront as a shepherd, to be a, a shepherd theologian. It's one of the primary tasks is um, administering to, to God's people the word of God and God's sacraments. Uh, and you know, so even just like the language that we we use, um, you know, we're 
currently in the the church office and some you know i have my we're not actually in my room we're in um we're in uh, what we call now Addie's room um <laughs> where Addie likes to take naps cuz it's kind of secluded and uh blocked off my my office quote unquote is uh you know across the hall here um but historically that wasn't pastors didn't have offices pastors had studies um b- because the assumption throughout the vast majority of church history is that you know what's a big part of what a pastor's doing yes we're caring for people um yes we're with our people yes we we're teaching we're preaching we're administering the sacraments but there's there's also a sense in which one thing that pastors are doing and have to be doing it is is thinking and praying studying um you know j- just in kind of some some core christian beliefs how is it that the lord uh especially where we are now in redemptive history you know post ascension closing of the canon how is it that the lord has chosen to to give his word to his people he's done so by giving us a book and uh, the bible and you know in doing so what are pastors doing studying the bible um which requires sitting and reading and contemplating and asking good questions and entering into conversations, you know, with, with others to kind of build one another up. But, but even this mandate of, you know, kind of the pastor's study, I think it's implied um, in a lot of Paul's works, particularly what are sometimes called his pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy, and then Titus, um, you know, first Timothy three, you know, kind of the qualifications of a an overseer, bishop, pastor, whatever term you want to use there. One of the qualifications is able to teach. Um, you know, it's implied in that in order to teach, you have to have learned. Um, but going on, you know, First Timothy four six, uh, that you know, be trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. First Timothy four. Um, really, eleven through sixteen is another lengthy section, but in one thing in particular, it says practice these things: the the preaching and teaching of the word of God, um, the exhorting of the people. Practice these things, or you can also translate that same Greek word: study these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. And then, you know, Second Timothy two fifteen: do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Um, you know, or rightly dividing the word of truth. You can translate that either way. The the skill of coming to to the biblical text, uh, examining it, understanding it, knowing the background, knowing the the syntax and the grammar and what these Greek and Hebrew words mean and what they mean together, and then applying it. And that's a that's a both a science and an art. Um, it's a skill that has to be learned. Um, some people do have, you know, kind of natural inclinations, um, and gifting to, towards that sort of thing. Um, pastors should be gifted towards that. Uh, but even if you are gifted in, you know, studying the Bible well, um, you, you still have to hone that craft. Uh, very few people, if any, are born and just automatically know Greek and Hebrew or, you know, the entire context of the whole Bible. Um, those are all very intimately learned skills. And so this this work of a theologian is, 
is a work of a pastor who's sitting and studying and seeking to rightly handle um, the very word of God, uh, you know, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, if we really confess that, like, yes, that's a that is a metaphor, but it's a powerful metaphor um, of you know when the when the pastor gets up and is preaching, they're saying, "Thus saith the Lord." They're they're holding something sacred and using something sacred, um, the very word of God. Um, and so we should be very careful not to, to misapply it. Same goes with the sacraments. So I think all of that's in there to just get a framework of, of one thing that pastors are doing, you know, on top of all the other things that they're doing is they have to be studying, uh, and honing their craft and deepening their, their knowledge of God, which comes through you know, the work of the spirit and a study of his word. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting given Paul's writing there, he's carrying on a tradition right. of the rabbis, right? Mm-hmm. Like he right. he's coming out of that tradition himself, right. having studied and trained and grown and learned from all the years of Jewish tradition. Right. And, and so I think sometimes we get a little bit hung up on, it sounds weird to call it the new nature mm. of our faith because it is 2000 years old. Right. But, you know, there's, there's, we try to put like a sharp division, like, mm-hmm. ah, there was this brand new thing. Right. But really Paul's carrying on these traditions mm-hmm. and the understanding was that if you were going to lead people, yeah, if you were going to lead people, especially in a spiritual way yeah, and you're going to lead people to God, you had to understand all of what God had said and done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this isn't, you know, this isn't new to our faith right. and Christianity. Right. It's carrying on from something. Yeah. Um, as Paul continues that tradition, which I think is really, really important. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as a trained rabbi and, you know, pastor, and, and now he's writing these two, two letters to a younger pastor and saying, you know, here's the work of a pastor. Um, you you need to be trained in this, um, and this is, you know, this is how God has communicated Himself and His gospel to His people, um, and He's done so since He's you know spoke uh, in the very beginning, um, and so we need to be well versed. You know, that's that's one of the things that like uh, Adam Adam just totally missed on, right? Like here here is this word, here is this law. Uh, keep this law, don't eat the tree. And where does he go awry? He, he didn't study the commandment. Um, he, he didn't apply it. He didn't proclaim it. He wasn't a good priest. He wasn't a good prophet and he wasn't a good king. Uh, and so here, you know, in some capacity, at least, um, what Paul is calling us, you know, specifically pastors in, in this, as he speaks to Timothy, um, is to say, uh, you need to take this very seriously. Um, especially this word of God. This is, this is vital that you get that. So, yeah. So what are, you know, you, you've been to a seminary, Mm. um, as I like to remind people that Keaton went to seminary. So if you have questions, you should ask him. Uh, I have all the answers because I went to (laughs) seminary, (laughs) but so you've gone through this training and, and I think, you know, the natural kind of human 
inclination is, and you know, you're given this command, yeah. you know, to study. Yeah. So we're going to form centers of study right. around this thing. Right. Um, and even those of us who don't go to seminary, like we, I, I have a biblical studies degree. Like I, it is an accredited piece of paper that yeah. says, you know, I studied biblical studies in college and mm. graduated with that. So like, obviously we find this very, 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 very important. Yeah. A lot of areas there. Um, so, so what is kind of that, maybe we can just kind of build on like, what is that tradition? Yeah. Um, how, how do we study? Yeah. Um, because I think that it, at least for someone like me coming out of a non Presbyterian background, yeah. um, the idea of seminary was a little bit of like this, like ethereal nebulous, like, right. Oh, they go away for a few years and come back and they're smarter and now they can, you know, preach. Right. So, so what is, what does a seminary look like? What does that mean? Yeah. You know, all of, all of that kind of stuff. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, the, the development, well, one, you know, um, and some of this is, is fairly unique to, to being Presbyterian. Right. Um, the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition has a very, very high value in an educated pastor. Um, and so, you know, and I was even looking um, recently at like the ordination requirements in different denominations and um, and the Presbyterian and our Dutch counterparts, the Dutch Reformed Church, um, j- just by far have the highest bar of if you want to be a pastor here, you have to you have to have gone through a rigorous amount of study. Um, in, in ways that honestly, really no other denomination has. Um, and, and so, you know, part of that, even if it is sometimes to a, to a fault, um, you know, in the history of, uh, of kind of the, the church, especially in America, um, you know, there are reasons why, uh, here in the South, you can, you can hit a Baptist church on like every street and, Part of that is because historically, not that you know Baptists aren't educated or anything like that; they are. Um, but there's since each church is autonomous, there's not necessarily a standard of you have to have had, uh, you know, this degree and you have to go through this process to get ordained. Um, theoretically, at least, and oftentimes it did happen. Um, you could you could just you know show up. And they need a pastor. And so theoretically, they could just be like, hey, you're our new pastor. We voted you in. You get to be the pastor. That's never been the case in the Presbyterian system. Um, And so part of this goes back um, primarily to Calvin's Geneva. uh, And there are other, you know, even antecedents to this. Um, But uh, Geneva had Calvin forms a pastor's school. And in that pastor's school, one thing that they were, you know, things that they were doing regularly was uh, reading a lot of the church fathers. You know, what did the church fathers say? Um, but the, the biggest thing was they were studying the Old Testament and its original Hebrew, getting into the text in the original language and the Greek uh, New Testament. And so here they are, just massive amounts of their work are just studying the text in its original language. Um, and that becomes the norm in, in the reform tradition. And 
you know, even fast forwarding to, to America's time, part of what made, you know, Princeton Seminary, which was the premier seminary in America for the 19th century, uh, so unique was at a time when, you know, Baptist churches are, are cropping up everywhere. Methodist churches are cropping up everywhere, both of which don't require um, a rigorous level of uh, of understanding and knowledge. Uh, the Presbyterians at Princeton are still saying, yeah, you know, it's great to plant lots of churches. That's awesome. But one thing we can't compromise is um, a pastor who is ready to stand in the pulpit and with clarity and with authority and with, you know, knowledge, able to say, this is the word of the Lord. Um, and so, you know, Princeton Seminary does that, carries on that tradition of, uh, you know, a, a deep knowledge of of the, the Hebrew Bible and the Greek New Testament, uh, a deep understanding of the doctrines of the church throughout time, a deep understanding of, of how to think theologically. That's another just crucial aspect that's exceedingly difficult to teach. Um, in fact, it's nearly impossible to teach people to think theologically. There's no real method of like, uh, you know, he, here's a three-step process of thinking theologically. It's more regularly caught than taught. It's got to be something that like you're personally adopting the biblical framework as the right. way through which you view the world. Right. Right, yep. which you know doesn't come naturally. I mean, you know, part of part of our starting point is as reformed folks is um, you know we're we're fallen. Um, our natural inclination is to suppress the truth and righteousness and and say you know I'll just be a law unto myself. And so this reshaping and this reforming how we see the world through the lens of the text of scripture um, is a is a tedious process, <laughs> um, you know and. You know, we we strive to do that better all the time, but but that's part of the tradition uh, that that we really come from um, in a in a unique way that says you know pastors need to go through rigorous studies, um, you know you degree or not like, and this is something like while the standard for for being ordained in the Presbyterian Church is to have a, a Master's of Divinity, um, you know. Previously, it was called a Bachelor's of Divinity, uh, but it's a very, very lengthy graduate second degree of you have a very lengthy process of systematic theology, church history, um, biblical studies, original languages, um, typically a a fairly hefty amount of of, um, philosophy, too, um, and everything in between. So... That's just part of our tradition, and anybody who shows up here, who's going to be a pastor here, who's been ordained, see see a previous episode, um, has really gone through in some capacity the ringer, um, and that's part of what it means to be Presbyterian, though I think. Yeah, and and I think there's an, also an understanding that as you are pastoring mm. after you have been ordained, you are continuing your study, right. Um, in, in a number of things. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we, we have so many great examples of this. Um, you know, one such, you know, we were talking before at the beginning of, you know, there aren't too many people 
who like their profession was theologian. Right. And, you know, in my mind, like when I think theologian, who's the picture in my mind, it's always Augustine for whatever reason, like theologian in my, and this probably is a weird me thing. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but in, in the mind of Keaton, if you say the word, like what's the, um, and they're like word association things that psychiatrists do, um, or psychologists, uh, if, if you say the word theologian, Augustine is the, the picture that pops in my mind. Interesting thing about Augustine though, he was a pastor, right? Like that, you know, before he was a, uh, a professor of rhetoric, um, but then he, you know, gets converted, um, somewhat against his own will, he becomes a pastor and bishop. Um, and, and, but at no point, like <laughs> if you were to ever meet, uh, you know, Augustine on the street and in a very, you know, 21st century Western way, be like, hi, I'm so-and-so. And he's like, oh, hi, I'm Augustine. And you're like, oh, cool. I, you know, I, I'm a teacher. What do you do? He wouldn't have said, I'm a theologian. He would have right. said, I'm a pastor. Um, but interestingly enough, so, you know, he, he gets converted. Um, he's baptized by his hero, Ambrose. Um, and then he, he goes back home and he's trying to figure out Christianity. He's trying to learn more about it. And there's a need for more pastors in Northern Africa, where Augustine is from. And, you know, he's this brilliant mind. He's a tremendous rhetorician. Um, and obviously he's given up a very lucrative life to, to be a Christian. So, you know, there's somewhat of a, like, we need this guy to be a pastor and against his will almost, um, he's made a pastor and that, you know, by his own account, um, in his confessions, you know, as he's being ordained, um, Augustine is weeping, uh, and not tears of joy. He's he's weeping because he feels the sheer weight of what it means to be a pastor. And later on, he writes uh, to the elderly bishop at this time, Bishop Valerius. Um, you know, it, because his whole thing of coming back home, what he was going to do is come back home and basically have a lengthy time uh, of you know just studying the Bible with friends. Because he's like, you know, I'm a Christian now. Um, I've got to figure out this faith. So I, what do I need to do? I need to study the Bible. So I'm going to, I'm going to study, I'm going to study hard. I'm going to study the Bible. And then he gets, you know, ordained, uh, someone against his will. So he writes this letter <laughs> to, to Bishop Valerius, um, after his, you know, weeping at his ordination of the weight. And he, he says, you know, a few different things. Uh, you know, first he says, you know, I feel I must search through all the remedies of his, that is God's. Uh, that all of his the remedies of his scriptures contain and give myself to prayer and reading so that my soul may be given enough strength for its responsible work. You know, so here he is in like, this is just a fact. Augustine was a genius, right? So, you know, some people have said before, one of the things of reasons why you don't go to seminary. Um, well, all the great pastors throughout history didn't go to seminary. Augustine didn't go to seminary, Calvin didn't go to seminary, Spurgeon didn't go to seminary, and while that is all true, um, especially Augustine's case, Augustine, by everybody's 
metric was a certifiable genius. <laughs> um, and you know, that's a, a word we shouldn't throw around much. Um, but even Augustine, who is absolutely brilliant, um, absolutely brilliant, says even before he, you know, steps into pastoral ministry, I have to study and I have to study really, really hard. I, you know, the Bible is a, it's the word of God and it's a, you know, an endless well of, of richness. Um, and in order to even be able to, to have the strength to endure this, what do I need? I need to pray and I need to study for my life. He goes on to say this, uh, for what shall I say to the Lord, my judge? Shall I say I was not able to acquire what I, w- what I needed because I was engrossed wholly in the affairs of the church? What if he replied, you wicked servant? How do you allege that you had no time to learn how to cultivate my field? And so one thing, you know, I wanted to kind of lean into just a little bit is to say that one of the duties of the pastor is to learn how to cultivate the field, um, to, to spend time in prayer and study uh, in order to have the strength and the wisdom to rightly, uh, to, to rightly do this work of pastoring and shepherding. And if from the mouth of Augustine himself is saying, this is what I need. I, I, you know, there are lots of, there are lots of things in business to do with the church, but what am I to say to Jesus whenever he shows up and says, you know, what are you doing? And am I supposed to tell him, sorry, I got too busy with, you know, business meetings and, budgets and spreadsheets and all of that. Uh, and he's you know, basically saying, if I tell Jesus that, you know what Jesus is going to tell me? Um, you, sir, have been unfaithful because uh, the duty of the pastor is, is to learn how to cultivate the field, which comes through studying God's word. And, um, and I think what's big here that connects to a lot of the stuff that we've talked about is the th- the study itself mm-hmm. is a means to an end. Oh yeah, not the oh, yeah. end in and of itself. Right. And so I think, and I think this particularly, you know, there there are some theologians who their job is to study and read and write yeah. and teach, you know, in a more academic, professional sense. And I think we're going to talk about that here in a second. Right. But what Augustine's getting at here is that his role, you know, that feeling that weight mm-hmm. of being the pastor and needing to study it's not solely about so that he knows more about god right or so that he believes rightly rightly in and of himself right but that he may study so that he can take that out into the world and pastor his people well absolutely and i think too often when we think about theologians we think about people studying as as the end right you know study you know sitting yeah. in your office with all your books, you know, you know, studying and studying and reading and writing and coming up with ideas and coming up with thoughts. And there can be a time and a place for that. Right. But ultimately the goal of theology, I mean, personally, as someone who's not a pastor and is not called to that, even I think that any study I do of theology has to have some sort of ministerial Mm -hmm. bent Mm -hmm. or 
what's the point? Right. Right. Um, and so, so I think that what he's getting at here is exactly like he's balancing that pastorist theologian thing that we're talking about so beautifully. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think of it this way. Um, you want firefighters who work out like, yeah, you know, you want a firefighter who the guy who's going to charge into a building and, you know, carry you who, you know, like through a burning building on his shoulders, chopping down doors. Uh, and you want him to be able to do that and do it well and do it flawlessly and do it fast. And so part of a firefighter's job, I'm, I'm speculating, I've never been a firefighter before, so I don't know, but I'm, you know, part of a firefighter's job is to work out. They have to be very physically strong because if they're not, what happens? People die. Um, it, the workout is not the end in and of itself, but being, being strong and fit is not the end in and of itself, but you've got to work out in order to perform your job well. And so pastors in their study, what Augustine's getting at here, pastors in their study are, are like somewhat like the, uh, the firefighter at the gym. That's how I'm going to look at it from, from now on. Uh, I'm going to the gym. Um, it, you know, because it, one, you have to, you have to cultivate your own spiritual life, um, it, which takes, you know, meditating on the word of God, prayer, thinking, contemplating. Um, but you also have to have to have, have dug so deep in the text of the scriptures that when somebody comes to you, um, and their life is in shambles, or when you're preaching on Sunday and you have a congregation full of people who are in shambles, that's, that's every pastor, everybody in your congregation, you have people whose lives are falling apart. If you haven't worked out that week and dug deep um, to, to, to glean from, from the Word of God, um, then what you're ultimately doing is... Uh, I think b- being unfaithful, um, just like a, a you know a, a firefighter who eats jelly donuts instead of works out. Right? Um, similarly to that, too, you know, uh, another one that I uh, I found interesting: BB um, Warfield, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, uh, one of the last great Princetonian theologians. Um, by the way, one of the greatest beards of all time. He had an amazing beard. But he did a he did a lecture series at the beginning of, of one of the one of the seminary years, and, and um, to to kind of start off a convocation of sorts, and it was um, he called it the spiritual life of theological students, and he writes a, a couple of different things, both kind of touching on this that theology is not the end in and of itself, um, but you know it starts in the head and it works to the heart. He says this: a minister but must be learned on pain of being utterly incompetent for his work. But before and above being learned, he a minister must be godly. It, it, so, you know, th- there's that once more of it, if the study is the end in and of itself, you've missed it. But if you say it's not important, you've missed the point. Uh, it goes on to say elsewhere, certainly every man who aspires to be a religious man must begin by doing his duty, his obvious duty, his daily task, the particular work which lies before him to do at this particular time and place. If that work happens to be by studying, which it is for pastors, um, then 
His religious life depends on nothing more fundamentally than on just studying. Now, he's not saying that all a person does is, all a pastor does is study and just study all the time. But he is saying pastors are called to study. And when it's time to study, be serious about studying. Um, your religious life depends on it. Uh, and this is very much a, you know, kind of a, uh, again, a part of uh, our our heritage, our tradition, taking seriously Paul's words to do all to the glory of God. Um, and so especially as pastors study sacred things in the sacred text, um, we do so earnestly and seriously um, because our lives depend on it, spiritual lives depend on it, and the, the, the people that the Lord places in our care, their lives depend on it too. Yeah. I think sure. that's, yeah. That's so. really, really important. Um, as you, as we kind of think about that, like one of the things that I find really interesting about theology and when we talk about like what you've been reading and what you've yeah. been studying is that uh, it there's a broadness, there's a breadth to oh, yeah. what it, number one, what it means to study, period. Right. But especially theology, like we talk about this a lot. We talked a little, little bit with the like culture aspect. Like mm-hmm. you're not just reading books by, you know, dead guys with beards, right. you know, <laughs> right. like dead pastors. Like you're reading lots of different things. And so yeah. what, what does it mean for you practically mm-hmm. that you're a theologian? Like yeah. when, when you come into work on Monday morning, mm-hmm. you know, what what does it mean? I, uh, today I'm going to be a theologian, a pastor, and a theologian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it like a lot of it really depends on what the Lord has called you to. Um, you know, and the Lord calls different pastors to different things. I do believe that there's there is a a generalization. What are you doing as a pastor? You're administering the word of God, uh, and the sacrament right? ministers of the word and sacrament. Like that's what, that's what we do. But there are other facets uh, of how that plays out, um, as a pastor, right? So, um, for, for instance, um, you know, the way that the Lord has gifted certain pastors, their primary work as a pastor in, uh, being a minister of, of word and sacrament it is through um, like pastoral counseling and pastoral care. What that guy needs is probably different what other guys need. That guy has to spend a lot of time thinking about you know the human heart and the human nature and the various um, you know, the various elements of the soul uh, and how to think through biblically, depression or conflict or, you know, marriage dynamics, um, they're going to have to think through that in a, in a very, very deep way. Um, where, you know, somebody like me, um, I, while I do think through those things and that's important, um, what the Lord is calling me to at least right now in this season is, is to minister, uh, primarily, um, as a you know, pastor of discipleship, um, that's my title here at the church. Uh, and so that entails a lot of teaching, 
um, a, a lot of of having somewhat of you know a mental um, you know, mental framework or mental categories of various resources on a lot of different things and teaching high schoolers, teaching students. And so, you know, what do I have to do to, to do that? Well, what's the kind of heavy lifting I have to do? I have to think a lot about, um, culture, probably more than I would typically even like, like my, my natural bent, uh, is to think, uh, a lot more about Greek and Hebrew. That's where I'm way more comfortable, um, you know, and, and doing kind of very fine works with, in the text. And I do a fair amount of that too, but, um, you know, the Lord has called me to this. So I have to think a lot. Um, right now I'm reading a lot of, of uh, postmodernism and, you know, some of the, the French existentialists and, uh, you know, Michel Foucault and Jean-Paul Sartre and Jacques Derrida and, you know, all of these different guys, even though my students aren't really talking about it, but those guys' ideas are the, the waters that my kids swim in. And so being a theologian, what I'm having to do is to to do a lot of the legwork to ask the question, you know, what are my kids particularly, and then, you know, the church at large here at Zion, what are the waters that these two groups swim in? And believe me, like the, my students, the waters that my students swim in and, uh, you know, that a lot of the people at the church swim in are, are honestly probably two pretty different waters the frameworks which they see the world are, are pretty different, um, and so you know having both of both of that delving deep into kind of the world that my students live in, while then also having somewhat of a network or a framework to be able to say, hey, I have uh, you know a question about sanctification or something like that, or the Trinity, having a list in my mind of. These are resources that I go to that are trusted resources for that question. Here's this resource. Um, and so it looks a little bit different there as I'm applying the word, I'm, I'm entering into a lot of different conversations with other pastors, um, and trying to get resources to the congregates to equip the saints for, for ministry. Um, and again, yeah. Yeah. In that, I just want to reiterate this because I think that, how you illustrated it there. It's so beautiful. Like, again, it's not the end. It's the means to an end. Yeah. And you're, what you're doing with reading French existentialism. Yeah. And then putting it through the grid of scripture. Mm -hmm. That's like a, that is a crucial piece of theology. It's a crucial piece of, pastoral leadership of what you're doing where you're so steeped in the biblical mm-hmm. um, literature, you know, Bible's literature. Yeah. You're, you're taking that in and then you're taking in these other philosophies and saying, okay, what matches up? What doesn't, yeah. how does this apply to the world that I'm in? Mm-hmm. And then taking that out and saying, not necessarily so that you can be like, so what you're actually believing is for, you know, postmodernism and right. here's how it's to to wrap your head around where that comes from yep so that you can better take care of the people that have been put in your care yeah and again not a means it is a means to an end not the end in itself absolutely um, the study absolutely and you know and part of that like 
the Lord gifts different pastors different ways. So, you know, a lot of how people study and the things that that guys find interesting and have natural bents towards in ministry um, are are different. And so guys will study different things. Um, and that's, you know, one of the beauties of, of our our polity is the fact that, you know, we we have elders. There's a plurality here. Um, and even at churches in, you know, the Presbyterian system, you you may have one teaching elder, but you have numerous different ruling elders. And, and your ruling elders, while not all of them went to seminary, um, some of them might have, um, but, but they are educated and examined and they know their stuff and are, you know, have a particular bent. Um, but especially, you know, I think a, a, a beautiful thing here at Zion is the fact that we do have numerous teaching elders um, who are who are geared very differently. Um, you know, Jeff and I are, you know, the the Lord has gifted us in various, in, in different ways from each other. And I think it's, it's pretty complimentary. Um, but all that to say, um, within the plurality of elders, here's one commonality aside from it, you know, our study not being the end in and of itself, but a means to an end. But we all are, even with our different giftings and our different areas of ministry, we all are primarily students of the Bible. Um, that's our first and foremost, even if we are, you know, in my case, spending a lot of time thinking through apologetics and culture and where students are and having to read people who outright reject the Bible and in some cases hate the Bible. Um, I'm, I'm studying them in order to, to, to see them in light of scripture. And, you know, like you said, um, helping, helping students do likewise. Um, and so that's always our, our goal and our primary, every pastor, they're primarily students of the Bible, how they apply it in their different settings is, is, is various. And that's a a gift of the Lord for sure. Yeah. So kind of take us in to this home stretch here and just talk about like when, again, we're looking for a pastor. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the context of this conversation. Yeah. When we think about our pastor's theology. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a pretty hot button kind of way of wording that. But like when we think about our pastor and how they study what we should expect out of a pastor. Just kind of yeah. dig into that. You have some really good kind of characteristics here that I really like. So yeah. I just want to dig into those. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the one of the first books I read at at seminary, I read a really, really hard book, and then I read a really easy book. And this one is at, written by a guy um, who's a friend of Zion Church, Kelly Capick at um, Covenant College, professor there. Um, and in his little book, I think it's called... Um, a little book for new theologians or something like that. He, he gives a variety of different ways and you know, he has different ways in which theologians, in this case, pastors are our future pastor um, should be doing theology or how, you know, the kind of that study goes. Um, and these are, you know, not exactly the, the same as his, um, but I think they were helpful and I wanted to give credit where credit was due. Um, you know, first, um, our, our theology must be linked to our lives. Uh, this is well, one thing I was talking about with, you know, students even today, it, it should be, and it seems like a no brainer that if you have a set of beliefs, um, 
that they should have massive implications on your life. Your what you confess to believe should have implications of of your various acts, and that's just a very normal thing. And, and if what you at least confess to believe and your actions are very different then you don't actually believe what you're saying you believe. I think that's a huge part of what James is getting at in his letter. Um, and so our pastor should have uh, a a deep, rich understanding of the faith, and that should play out in their lives. Probably not perfect, because they will be a sinner, and they will make mistakes. Um, but hopefully, uh, you know, their their theology carries out into their, their lives. Um Secondly, reasoning should always be linked to our faith. Um, you know, this is one of the great conversations throughout church history is, you know, which precedes which, and it gets pretty dense. But um, yeah, I think the natural posture of a pastor is, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, or, you know, to use, you know, the, the language of, of Anselm of Canterbury, uh, Lord, I believe, but help me unbelieve more or, or I, Lord, I believe, help me believe all the more, um, to, to give a, a, a general paraphrase of what, uh, Anselm is doing in one of his works, uh, Proslogion, um, to, to constantly come back and say, I want my, my reasoning, my, my logic, my rationality, I want it to be shaped not by my own autonomous thinking or by my culture. I want it to be shaped by the word of God. Uh, and so the decisions I make, um, and you know, whatever situation, uh, a tragedy happens and I have to make a decision as the pastor of this church, Lord, may it be shaped not by the wisdom of this world, but by the, the wisdom of your word. Uh, is primary. Uh, third, our study should always be prayerful. Uh, this is, you know, I mean, all of these are, are applicable to to Christians everywhere in every context, but especially true for for pastors. Um, studying, no matter what you study, uh, it should be done prayerfully. Uh, you know, Lord, help me glean wisdom from this. Um, then I can equip the saints for ministry. Uh, our, our study should always drive us to repentance. That's such a good one that I, you know, I, I don't pray as I should. I think few pastors, if they're honest, would say, oh, yeah, I, pr- I pl- pray plenty, you know. Like, I pray plenty enough. I don't need to pray anymore. Um, that's true. But, but also, you know, our study should bring about repentance when you're you're delving into um the sacred word of God, um, it should change you. And, and it does, you know, always. It, it'll either, um, it'll either mold and shape you more and more into the image of Christ or it'll harden you, Isaiah 55. Um, but hopefully, Lord willing, uh, it, more often it shapes you into the image of Christ, which means um, cutting away, sin and, you know, shaping you and, and crafting you, um, to, to think and act more like Jesus. Uh, and then finally, um, our, our love of the Bible should always be at the forefront. 
this is one thing that I, I noticed and why I think, you know, theology for theology's sake or theology as a mean in and of itself. One thing I noticed at, at seminary, and, you know, you hear so many different things before you go off to seminary. Well, don't go off to seminary because it's really, you know, it's a cemetery, um, you know, a place for your soul to go and die, which was not my experience at all. But that's true for a lot of people. It's a soul-sucking place. And for, for some, again, that was not my experience. Um, there were very difficult times in, in seminary where, you know, I'm going, what am I doing? Um, but but it was a, a spiritually vibrant time for me where I grew a lot. That's true. Um, but I noticed that the guys who either didn't stick around long or got through but haven't stayed in ministry very long, um, a lot of the times it was theology for theology's sake. And when theology becomes the means or becomes the end in and of itself, um, oftentimes you you really miss the point. Um, and, and so, you know, the Bible being our first love, I think, is is a way to to shape and, and mold us and, and to cause us to sit and wonder, not that, you know, systematic theology or church history isn't a great thing, but, but those things, you know, systematic theology is impossible, really, without the Word of God, um, at least in any, in any uh, good and Christian fashion. Um, but, you know, the, the Bible has to be our primary thing. Um, uh, otherwise, we're going to get dry and, uh, and you're going to wither away. Um, so I think those five things are, are primary for, for our future pastor these are character. This is the kind of theologian they are. They have those five things of, um, really, you know, the bulk of of it is what you said. Uh, it's not theology for theology's sake, but as a means to an end. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good good thing. Um, you know, talking about keeping the Bible at the forefront yeah. of everything. Um, I was driving on the way here. I was thinking about actually for a completely different reason, but. Think about the the fact that all of this is built around the person of Jesus, mm-hmm. and all of this theological study that we're talking about, yeah, ultimately is about knowing Jesus better, right? So that totally. you can better serve His people. Totally. And if it becomes, let me figure it out. Yeah. Let me figure out how this thing works and mm-hmm. build this little thing. It falls apart. Yeah. And yeah. And so it really does have to be about. I'm I'm going down this path so that I know Jesus better, so that yep. I can better serve his people. Yeah, totally. Totally. Absolutely. That seems like a good note to end on. I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you for your time. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for your time. We'll be back next week. Next week. With just a little bit more. Yeah, we've got two more pastor profiles. Two more? Maybe one more. Yeah, one more pastor profile, and then two more episodes to kind of finish out yeah we'll wrap up this season uh if you have questions you can submit them to keaton.paul at pcazion.org or now if you're on spotify you can just open it up and swipe up and there should be a little q a thing and you can submit us a question there yeah please do yeah thanks keaton thank you